In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, friends. Good morning, good friends. It is so, so good to be with you in this space, in this time, on this grand occasion of all saints falling actually on a Sunday. How great is that? And also for you who are watching this service from another space, maybe even in another time, welcome. For because God is with us, whenever we are with God, we are with one another. That's, that's the communion of the saints. You know, Jesus had this virtual reality thing down right from the resurrection. I mean, God had this virtual reality, this capacity to transcend time and space and condition from the beginning. So it's good to be with you, George, Javier, Candy, good people, few people that could be here. And it's good to be with you wherever you are watching this service. So, All Saints, wow, love this, love this. And I have to say, surely I was not the only one who tears up a little bit when we sing those hymns. For all the saints, for all the times that we've sung for all the saints on some hard times, some difficult times, some times where we were letting go of someone we loved and entrusting them into the hands of God and not to be able to sing it heartily and lustily, that's hard. I sing a song of the saints of God Oh my goodness, are you not transported back to your earliest memory of vacation Bible school and you wanted to know about shops and tea and could we go there sometime, Mom? Right? Strange. And yet strangely comforting that here we are, even in these odd times in these odd ways, <laughs> doing what the people of God do. Do you know I love to sing? Some of you know that very well. You love to sing. So how interesting that the Spirit is disciplining me to not sing with my mouth and vocal cords, but to sing with my heart and to really listen to what is being sung by others, but which sings within me. Wow. Wow. God has a way. God makes a way. Amazing. But let's talk a little bit about saints, okay? In that roll call of patron saints, there are those who get the capital S, the capital S and ST, St. Paul's, right? And in the liturgical calendar, those people get days of their own, right? All of their own. Now, I just want to point out that in the calendar of the saints and feast days, priests are a dime a dozen frankly. No offense, guys. <laughs> and there's only a few slain by fierce wild beasts. And I sincerely believe that the only reason a priest is mentioned in I Sing a Song of the Saints of God is because it rhymes with beast, right? <laughs> we love that idea. I mean, we don't love it, but we're strangely intrigued. Actually, you would think being slain by a fierce wild beast might give you pause about what it takes to become a saint. Now, when I think of saints and beasts, the story that first comes to my mind is St. George 
after I think of George Adamick, that is. And legend has it that St. George, a soldier in the Roman Imperial Army, stationed in Palestine, killed a dragon before it could kill a local princess. After receiving incredible riches for his valor, he then distributed all of that reward to the poor. While there may be truth in the myth, it's also important to know that his courage was really about speaking the truth of Christ to worldly power. There is historical evidence that George was a soldier of exceptional accomplishments, great popularity. He was one of the emperor's favorites. But George was also a Christian, which was against the law in the early fourth century because he refused to hide his Christianity. He was tortured and beheaded. The emperor would tolerate no worship of a deity other than himself. Thus, St. George the dragon slayer was slain by the beastly emperor, but is not the saint our hymn refers to. In the year 202, Perpetua, a young woman and other Christians living in Carthage, part of North Africa, she and her friends studying for baptism were ordered to make sacrifices to the emperor, right? who's considered a deity. Those who would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ were imprisoned and sentenced to death. And despite this, Perpetua, along with two of her friends, Felicitas and Revocatus, continued their preparation for baptism. I'm a little relieved that we are not baptizing small children today, because this is tough stuff. Perpetua was already widowed and the mother of a nursing infant. She and her companions were revealed to the Roman proconsul and arrested. Despite interventions, even by their prison guards, some of whom later converted to Christianity, despite her father imploring her to think more of her nursing baby than her faith in Jesus, she, as well as the rest of her companions, refused to worship the emperor. For them, there was no crossing of the fingers behind their back, no merely pretending to offer meaningless sacrifice. Through their prayers in prison, the group discerned that they were called to serve Christ and to support the growing young church best by their willingness to die rather than to deny Christ. The group were led into a coliseum to face, you got it, fierce wild beasts. A leopard, a boar, a bear, and a rabid bull. Some of the group were killed fairly immediately. The rest, including Perpetua, though badly mauled, were finally executed by the sword. And I mean to be one too? Really? Do we mean it? Do we really want to be a saint too? Do we really believe we are called to put everything, everything, the totality of our lives, even risking our lives, for those we love in service to God? Do we really believe it's possible to find the courage, the deep down convictions 
to believe it would be better to lose our lives on a particular day during particularly discouraging times for the sake of the gospel rather than to save our lives for a more favorable day, a less risky day to tell and share the goodness of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can think of lots of reasons to back away from various opportunities to give a public witness to my faith. First of all, I might look foolish. And though it may surprise you, because I often do look foolish, I actually do hate to look foolish. To talk of Jesus might make me seem less intelligent, less sophisticated, less cosmopolitan, less critically objective in the minds of other people, right? Some other people. And then again, I might do more harm than good. I might offend somebody who has convictions. I can give you a thousand reasons why I'm going to wait till a better time. I might be ineffective. I might give somebody a reason to turn away rather than to turn to Jesus. And if I got too carried away, well, I might lose my life. I might lose my livelihood. How would that serve God? No one in their right mind wants to be slain by a fierce wild beast or to be crucified or to have their children kidnapped while serving as missionaries in another part of the world. No one wants to lose her life tending victims of influenza, malaria, tuberculosis, or COVID-19 or fighting wildfires. No one wants to suffer. Even our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Being a saint is not about wanting or seeking or desiring suffering. Being saints of God means wanting a deeper communion with God because of the joy that it brings. Even through a stony trail we may be called to trod. Being saints of God means we hunger and thirst for more genuine community with our neighbors, even if that community means sitting sitting quietly and even silently just to share a moment of pain, a moment of loss, to share lamentation as well as joy. Being saints of God means we aspire, we dream, we conceive of an eternal companionship with those who have departed this life to such a degree, to such a degree that we can practically taste this companionship now, in this present hour, no matter what the danger. When blessed with such faith, we discover to our great surprise and to the, great, to the world's great disbelief a willingness to endure suffering, not seek it, to endure suffering for the greater joy, ineffable, indescribable, mysterious joy. Saints bring out into public for all the world to see a willingness to make sacrifices in the present circumstances because of a greater joy, a deeper certainty that God's goodness will triumph over all the world's evil. 
No one wanted to die in a yellow fever epidemic in Memphis, Tennessee in 1878. There were many who fled the city, but there were many who stayed, especially some Roman Catholic and Episcopal nuns, along with a number of clergy who chose to stay in the city to, as we say in evening prayer, tend the sick, pity the afflicted, soothe the suffering, and bless the dying. Dozens of these Christian caregivers died for their efforts, and they now share a common grave in Memphis. They're known as the martyrs of Memphis, but they were not seeking martyrdom. They were merely continuing to live out their baptismal covenant, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving their neighbor's life as much and maybe even more than their own. Where does such faith come from? How does such holiness of life, how is it sown, cultivated, propagated to more and more fields of life? Where does such courage come from? Does it only come in these tragic, dramatic points of life? Or is holiness of life available to all of us at all times if we can but open our hearts open our eyes, open our ears. If we look closely, maybe we can see that such holiness of life is as close and as available as a small, hot ember in each and every ordinary moment of life, ready to be stoked into the fiery intensity necessary on occasion for great courage and great sacrifice. What we need to see is how Saints are ordinary in every way. Ordinary Christians who prepare themselves for extraordinary service, sometimes in, during extraordinary times. Perhaps they knew before they died what we hold to be true, especially today, that they would continue to live as part of the cosmic body of Christ, that communion of saints. The saints who have gone before us understood that death was only a gateway to greater life. These saints continue their ministry today, working with us, praying with us. They are part of that great cloud of witnesses that watch over us. Thank God. They are in an even better position today as the saints of heaven to be our faithful companions. They will stand with us today. They will stand with us and help us face an epidemic. They will stand with us when it is our time to, to face the disasters in nature created in part by our own human abuse of the environment. They stand with us today as our world, and especially this country, face uncertain and, yes, a potentially dangerous future. The saints stand with us when we face what we fear and acknowledge and share what hurts, and dare to imagine a more loving, liberating, life-giving future, no matter what the odds or the obstacles. Saints are found in formation classes, in EFM. Saints are found in habitat builds. Saints are found using newfangled technology to broadcast services across the world. Saints are found pouring over church finances. Saints are found in a Zoom room. 
Sainthood does not exalt us into some kind of glory. Sainthood is the light of Christ shining through these humble vessels that the world might see our good works and give the glory to God in heaven. If being a saint means knowing that neither life nor death nor powers nor principalities can separate me from the love of God, from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the power of the Holy Spirit, and from those whom I love but can see no more, then I want to be one too. <laughs>